Hello, everyone. Welcome to our bonus podcast. I'm the host, Donatos Rubinas. I'm joined by my colleague, Rita Sashnauskas. And after two games of the EuroLeague playoffs, we're here to discuss what happened the last week and what we can expect for the upcoming week. But it is probably we have to give a short explanation why, why we're here for the first time uh, since last summer doing this podcast on Zoom. Yeah, hello, everybody. Hello, Donatas. Uh, well, it's very simple. I'm on a short vacation. Uh, some could say that it's not the best time for a basketball commentator to go on vacation, but actually it is quite a good time because I was able to watch all the games, all the action. I was able to relax a little bit, uh, take a breather from everything because the schedule for me in the past couple of months was was really tough. And now I'm coming back this week for the most important part of the EuroLeague playoffs. So everything's okay. I haven't disappeared. Uh, I'm not somewhere far away. I'm coming back uh, on Wednesday. So for, for now, we will do this podcast on Zoom. But next week, we're getting back together in the studio 100%. Yeah, I'm I'm alone at our studio, but at the same time, I'm sitting behind one great guy uh, of yours, uh, your guy, Manu Ginobili. So there are still some, let's say, Ritis vibes here in, in the studio. Uh, there are very, a lot of interesting action in the EuroLeague, but uh, um, actually we have to discuss shortly what happened in the EuroCup, probably the biggest upset uh, of the year uh, so far. But before that, uh, let me introduce you our uh, premium playoff partners, uh, which is NordVPN. They offer the fastest, safest, safest, and probably most convenient VPN services. And actually, uh, last week I had at least two situations where I faced uh, two situations where it really helped me. First of all, uh, with a different VPN, you can buy some services way cheaper. For example, um, I give you the price of EuroLeague TV package, which in Lithuania, the monthly uh, offer is something uh, around 13.5 euros. If you use the VPN from India, you can buy the EuroLeague subscription for one month only for 6.5 euros. So it's a great deal. And with this special uh, promo code or bonus, uh, you can get a very good uh, offer for NordVPN services. Uh, you can type it down, nord nordvpn.com slash or bonus, and you will get this offer. Also, you know, I was traveling to uh, Barcelona last week for the playoffs against Bayern Munich, and there were a lot of different situations where I had to use the Wi-Fi, whether it was the airport, uh, some cafeterias, restaurants, or whatsoever, there's some random uh, Wi-Fi connections. And when you're using some random Wi-Fi, uh, some safety uh, helps. And NordVPN helps to save you from hackers, potential Trojans, or whatsoever, which you some sometimes uh, can get, get caught uh, using the random uh, Wi-Fis. So that's only a few of great features that uh, NordVPN uh, offering and yeah, uh, let's start. Let's move on uh, to Serbia, where Partizan lost EuroCup eight finals game after the overtime in front of twenty thousand people, and actually they lost the game they already had in their pocket. It was really hard to watch that game because at the same time we have other EuroCup games, including Letkabilis, my hometown team, uh, playing against Virtus, which was let's say competitive game for, for Letkabilis and also we had this Real Madrid and Maccabi game so it was tough to be between uh, all these games uh, but I watched the very ending of that game uh, at least the end of the regulation and you know it's there were so um, so many storylines behind Jelko's return to Partizan uh, 
Uh, I mean, 30 years uh, ago, he became the head coach of Partizan. And as a rookie head coach, he won the EuroLeague. And he started the, this great era of, of Partizan. 30 years later, he's coming back. He's building this new project to make the, it to the EuroLeague. And he losing such an important game in a single game elimination round in front of this full gym and losing the way which is which goes opposite what Jelko is known for it was a terrible ending because they had like 10 ways to finish the game and to win that game uh and i think that it all started with uh, avramovic missing the open dunk with uh, a little bit uh, than more than one minute uh, to play at the end of regulation uh, and instead of plus seven they were plus five but still they had this plus five with 20 seconds to play all these crazy Bursa's three-pointers started. Then uh, Avramovic also missed one important uh, free throw. Yamadar got uh, this offensive foul and John Holland made this uh, game-tying three-pointer. Overtime was a tragedy for Partizan. I mean, there were a lot of crazy scenarios, but what happened after the game, basically everybody was discussing the EuroCup format. And I wanted to hear you do you think that is it fair? I mean, nah, my question is not this. I mean, a lot of people were complaining that this format is not fair for big teams. And they said that you're playing full regular season of 18 games and then you're just playing single game elimination round starting from the eight finals. Uh, and a lot of people think that it's not fair. And especially when Partizan lost, I mean, all this discussion came on Twitter. Uh, what do you think ab about this format? And uh, how do you look at the situation in general well we were talking about this from from the very beginning that it doesn't matter which seed you take in the regular season the format is really tricky and it doesn't favor the big teams it's it's basically a format for underdogs to make their stories and uh i i don't understand why all the fuss is starting right now you knew from the beginning that this is the format you're facing you knew that uh, you might feel unjust injustice um but uh i'm not a fan of it for sure it's a sudden death scenario and a sudden death is exciting in, in let's say national team tournaments that happen in the summer when you're playing a Eurobasket or Olympic Games. It's a short tournament where one game decides everything. Usually it's the quarterfinal that is the most important one before you enter the medal stage. To play a sudden death knockout tournament in a normal season makes no sense. It's not a Copa del Rey. It's not uh, King Mindogas Cup in Lithuania. It's the Euro Cup with a complete regular season. They actually extended the regular season because before uh, you had a group stage, then you had top 16. And then if you advance, uh, you go to the quarterfinals and you play a best of three series. Or, or even before that, it was um, uh, two home and away games. Uh, you're playing for points advantage, right? And now you extend the regular season but you cut the playoffs to make it like a knockout tournament. I don't know why they did it. It doesn't make any sense to me. If you think that EuroCup is important and you want to promote this competition, you must stop experimenting with it. I mean, the previous format they had, it was okay. Uh, if you want to do a proper regular season, it's also fine. But why make these adjustments in the playoffs? 
if you don't want to play best of three, okay, then at least go back to the previous format with the points difference. Home and away. You lose, let's say, away from home by five, you still have a chance at home to, to catch up and win by six and advance. So, of course, it's, it's not fair. And uh, it, it, it's only the first stage of the playoffs and you already have this huge upset with Partizan being knocked out. Virtus Bologna is not safe, even though they have all these big names. You might have a bad day. Your opponents might have a crazy day shooting freeze or something, and, and you're out. So I'm not a fan of it. Uh, let's make it clear. I'm not a fan of Partizan. It's not like I was cheering for Partizan. It didn't make any difference to me whether Partizan wins or Bursaspor. Neither of these teams, I don't know, give any feelings to me, but... It's really unfair. It really is. And um, I feel sorry a little bit for Coach Obradovic. Uh, I've uh, read his comments after the game where he said, if I'm the problem, I can step down immediately. Nobody thinks probably that Jelko Obradovic is to blame for this. It could happen to anybody in this format. It just happened to be partisan. But at the same time, what you mentioned, how they didn't manage to close the game, maybe once again reminded everybody that uh, this is an inexperienced team. They actually have just a few veteran players, but this is quite a young team. And I'm pretty sure that with more experienced players on the court, Jelko uh, would have closed the game. They, they would advance. But it is what it is. Right now, they're obviously going to focus on the ABBA League uh, and their big rivalry with uh, Zvezda. We'll see how that goes. But EuroCup is a failure uh, because they were one of the big favorites, obviously. Yeah, thank God that probably they will get the yearly wild card because of the Russian team situation. Because in a normal situation, we have Monaco advancing to the playoffs, which means that only the EuroCup champions uh, go straight to the EuroLeague. And then, in that case, there was only a way for Partizan to make the EuroLeague by winning ABBA League. And by far, they weren't as good as uh, Cervena Zvezda in my eyes. And with like month and month and a half to go, I don't believe that uh, Jelko would make this team the uh, ABBA League champions team uh, from what we see this, this year. And th there are two things. Uh, uh, yeah, I kind of feel bad for Partizan, uh, but at the same time, I think that they, I, I cannot say they didn't deserve to win the Euro Cup, but at the same time, I, I just think that, you know, their season was going this way that they're going to fail to win the Euro Cup. Uh, what I want to say that uh, did their game didn't convince me this year at all. Uh, they were far worse team than Zvezda. If we compare, you know, Partizan to the EuroLeague club in the Euro Cup, they were not consistent. They were uh, losing games in Panevegis against Letkabilis by a big margin. And uh, as I mentioned, there were some problems for Jelko to, you know, by building this roster, by building the game, there was too much of a gap between import players and Balkan players, I would say. That mix of stars or, let's say, proven EuroLeague players and these young guns didn't uh, work quite well. And at the same time, as I was repeating all season long, they, were prob they had problems with floor general. And in, in the decisive moments of the game, where we need some, you know... Uh, cold heads uh, in the decisive moments. We saw Avramovic doing crazy things. We saw Yamadar uh, making this offensive foul and uh, 
you know, it all started from here. Uh, I mean, I just think that, you know, it, it's kind of unfair, but at the same time, rules were equal for everybody. And the most important thing is that Partizan, you know, they didn't have any injuries which could have impacted this game. They didn't have any COVID outbreak. I mean, they had all the roster set, so that was their job to prove on the court that they were a better team. And uh, they failed a lot. So from, from the EuroCup standpoint, from the EuroLeague standpoint, uh, I'm not so sure if the regular format of playoff series is the case for the EuroCup, because I think that Nobody cares about EuroCup in general. There are only a few power houses who are intriguing to watch. So I think that EuroCup tried to find ways to make this tournament more exciting. Single game elimination stage, it kind of brings some exciting, making these playoffs like a do or die uh, game. And it's like, you know, it's like the G League of the NBA, you know, they have to do something different. They have to put some interesting stuff uh, to make it relevant. At the same time, uh, we see EuroLeague making the schedule of their playoffs, matching with the EuroCup playoffs, and it's impossible to watch all these great teams like Virtus, Partizan playing at the same time. Then we have Maccabi Real before, I think, that it was uh, Olympiacos and Monaco, the game one. So at the same time, it seemed, it seemed like they were trying to make this tournament more exciting, but at the same time, they're mixing it up, uh, mixing it up with the EuroLeague. So... Nobody except from Partisan fans watched their game probably, or nobody except from Virtus fans watched their game. And, you know, EuroCup fans, I mean, it, it's the whole, it's it's very strange combination of things. But at the same time, I kind of understand EuroCup trying to make this format more exciting and putting all these regular season games just because to add some games for teams to make some money from ticketing or let's say just to have your European tournament from October to April, April, not like uh, killing their international competition season mm, since January, for example. I don't know. I, I don't think that this format belongs in club competitions. Let's leave it for, for the national teams in the summer or the domestic cups. That but then we have to make a case the of the final of the four, right? We have to make the, the case. Oh, the, the final I, four I've, I've made a case numerous times, but you know, the final four is kind of a different because there's a long way to go and, to me, the quarterfinals in the EuroLeague is the most exciting time. It's it's more exciting to me than the Final Four itself because if yeah. you make it to the Final Four, you, you have a chance. But here you're starting from the eight finals already with this sudden death. And let's not talk. Let's not only focus on Partizan. This is one story, but there is another team, Catalan team, Juventud Badalona. They lost control of the game in the fourth quarter. They lost to Ulm. Ulm is a good team with a great coach, and nothing against them. But uh, Joventut throughout the regular season in Spain and also in the EuroCup seemed like one of the most consistent teams at, at this level. And I don't think they deserve to finish the season just because they had one bad quarter, the fourth quarter, where they lost control. They should have a chance to at least play a second leg to try and make up for the points difference. Uh, if Joventut would have advanced, we would see Joventut Virtus. It could be a good series, but it was never meant to happen. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know how they are going to approach the Euro Cup next year. I don't know which clubs will compete in the Euro Cup next year. But to me, it seems year after year that uh, actually the Euro League does not care about this second competition. And sometimes you 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 start thinking, what's the point 
what's the purpose of playing in the Euro Cup? And eventually, I see a scenario with EuroLeague being the most elite competition and the second one being the FIBA Champions League because the Euro Cup is right now somewhere in between and it seems irrelevant, honestly. Maybe, maybe. I don't have anything to add. I mean, all their actions show that they don't really care about the Euro Cup. And I heard that there were uh, a lot of discussions inside the organization. If they really need the Euro Cup, maybe they should get rid of it. At the same time, Euro Cup was kind of uh, was a field for the EuroLeague to check who is, the, let's say, closest to that stage of the EuroLeague basketball. And we saw all these projects like Virtus Bologna, now Partizan, some other teams. Uh, Valencia is always in the mix and some other teams uh, were kind of getting prepared for that level. So EuroCup was a nice platform to see how ready are all uh, of these teams. But yeah, at the same time, if they're making this tournament more exciting. Because yeah, from the owner's perspective, I hate this format. You're investing so much money to make it to the EuroLeague and you're losing eight finals to Bursa Spor or, or, or to any other team, Ulm. I mean, these are very nice organizations. I like what they did this EuroCup season, but these are not EuroLeague-ready organizations, uh, to, to be honest. But at the same time, you know, you're making, making some excitement, some fun, some, some unexpected things uh, to happen, but nobody watches these games. It doesn't make it more exciting to me. I don't think it affects the TV uh, viewership. I don't think it uh, attracts more audience to watch those games also because because of those reasons that you've mentioned. So I don't know who wins from this. The underdogs, maybe, but is this your primary focus to make everybody happy, to make it an equal opportunity league or something? Let's be real. European basketball is, is uh, based on budgets. It is what it is. It's not the NBA. You don't. So maybe have... there's only one way, you know, to make it more equal, uh, not to have all these only high-budget teams in the final stages of the tournament, but making this unpredictable uh, elimination round. Let's. But say. then get rid of the regular season. Why play 18 games then? Why to, do you... to get them to give them a chance to to make some money from from tickets or let's say to have them give them what would, to do. I would love season. to see. I would love to see uh, how much money these clubs made throughout the season. I think that they made it's some peanuts. money. Yeah, Partizan probably made some money. Okay, Partizan is is different, but for most clubs, it's peanuts. They're not yeah. making anything. I mean, Latkabelis had a decent run in Europe. Did they make any money? I don't Penis. think so. Penis. I don't think so. Let's move on to to Euroleague because uh, a lot of attention for the Euro it, Cup. It's, it's I mean it's more exciting to me definitely and I was watching all these games. It's a good thing that I was on vacation actually because if I'm working I have to focus on one game and um, the the other one I can only watch afterwards maybe on tape delay. But right now I had the opportunity to watch everything with so many different devices. Uh, I think there was one, one night when I had a tablet with football on. I had EuroLeague one game on television and the other game on laptop. <laughs> and I was able to follow everything that's really important to me. Yeah, I was busy with Bayern and Barcelona series, so I had to rewatch all these other games uh, later during my free time. Uh, I actually had a big uh, flight delay back home, coming back home from from uh, Barcelona through Milan to, to Vilnius. But it, it you know it happened the same during the same time uh, Olympiakos was playing Monaco game two, so I wasn't disappointed with that delay at all because I had the chance to watch the full game. 
Uh, anyway, before we start uh, with the playoffs and the first two games of the playoffs, I just wanted to give a short shout out to Olympiacos fans because they were only ones who made this real playoff atmosphere, you know, packing up uh, Peace and Friendship Stadium, uh, creating unbelievable atmosphere, which in my eyes, it kind of impacted Monaco in game one because they looked miserable. They, they didn't look themselves. And, you know, I'm saying this because I was in Barca and I had a cultural shock watching uh, like three hours or two hours before the tip-off of barcelona Bayern series. I was so surprised watching a group of Lithuanian fans buying tickets uh, in the arena because I was like thinking, guys, this is the playoffs. I mean, game one, the best regular season team is playing. There's no way that there are still some tickets left. I was dead wrong. I mean, there were so many tickets left. They could choose from the best seats to, to, to the poorest seats, uh, let's say. And then I saw uh, these you know, tweets about uh, Milan having 6,000 people before the tip-off. It was even uh, worse. So I kind of, coming from Lithuania, I felt that uh, cultural shock. Later, the next day, I, had, I was the single journalist before uh, Barca's uh, media availability. There was a Barca TV reporter uh, on stand as well, but new, none of these uh, Catalonian journalists came, came to the pregame uh, press conference. So, you know, it, remind me very, it reminded me very well uh, what it's like to, to be a basketball geek in a football country. This whole playoff situation reminds you where basketball stands in Europe, actually. And you've mentioned the game in Milan. So let's focus a little bit more about that. Uh, then we, we, continue, we will continue talking about basketball, uh, Monaco and Olympiacos, first of all. But what happened in Milan? It was the very first game of the EuroLeague playoffs. Actually, it was the opener. Uh, the planning for this was terrible, as bad as it gets. They planned the game at 7 p.m. in Milan. You know how big is Milan. You know how life goes in Milan. And at you know the arena is outside the, outside the city. Yeah, Medellin Forum is, is somewhere on the suburbs. So a lot of people that could go to the game didn't manage to because of the time. Uh, some people in Milan finish work at 7 p.m. or even later. It's impossible to make it to the game under these circumstances, but that's just one part of the problem. The other part of the problem, at the same, on, on the same day, it was Tuesday, in Milan, there was Derby della Madonnina. Inter Milan playing AC Milan in, in the Italian Cup semifinal. This was the most important event in the city on Tuesday. The focus was on San Siro Stadium, not on Mediolanum Forum. It's, it's terrible planning. Why choose this date and why choose this time? Uh, you could start your playoffs with somebody else, with Barca Bayern being the opener or uh, Olympiacos Monaco or whatever. Because when you're planning a big uh, sporting event, first thing you must do is check if there are other, even bigger sporting events happening in the city on that day. Uh, because sometimes even in Lithuania, we have problems. In Lithuania, basketball is bigger than football. And when you have like Rita Žalgiris playing on the same day when Vilnius Žalgiris is playing a football game, uh, the football fans are, are not happy because they could at least have more people in the stadium if not for basketball. So you need to adjust because something bigger is happening. 
And I mean, come on, you cannot compete with uh, Inter Milan against against uh, AC Milan. So uh, there was no surprise that the Mediolano Forum was half empty. I mean, once again, I don't know who's to blame for it, the Euroleague or, or, or somebody else, the clubs, the clubs themselves, but it was just bad planning. Yeah, th- there are a lot of different... I mean, m- making the playoff schedule is a really complicated uh, thing. Because, for example, there are so many exceptions, such as, for example, Maccabi, when they're playing home. I think there's a, some rule, tradition, some, some religion thing that Maccabi cannot play on Fridays, for example. So, once again, when Maccabi is playing at home, you must adjust these games on, on Tuesday and on Thursday, for example. And it's one of the, these examples. But at the same time, as you mentioned, I mean, there were better ways uh, how to fix uh, this schedule, uh, I believe. Why did you why did you have to start with Mil- with Milan and Efes? Why? You knew from a long time ago that the second leg of the Italian Cup semi-final will be played in San Siro. You had time to prepare, you had time to look after all these things and and m- make a decision. Why Milan and Efes cannot start on Wednesday? Just throw the other pair to start everything on on Tuesday. Uh, but when you make decisions like this, don't be surprised that there are only 6,000 people in the arena. I don't have any explanation for, for Palablo Grana, why it was like this, because uh, during the regular season, actually, after all the COVID restrictions were lifted, in Palau, in some games, there was a very good atmosphere. And the, the most recent El Clasico, for example, was really hot. And I don't know why they, they didn't go to the playoffs. That the much. thing is that the atmosphere was really great because Palau Blaugrana, it was the first time I visited Palau when the team was winning, when Barca was winning. Because before I was following Jalgiris and usually Jalgiris was even better team at the time. Uh, they were coached by Chares and Barca was uh, struggling. So the crowd wasn't very inspiring. Uh, this time, even though it wasn't Packed, uh, even though they had they didn't have sold out uh, and they had something around 6,000 people coming although the capacity of the arena is 7.5 something like that the atmosphere was great I would say because it's a small gym the very good acoustics if it's if it's a right word uh, for for fans and for for the for them chanting it's it's a one of the best arenas because it's small the roof is pretty low so it's a very very strange environment but at the same time it really gets hot very quickly and it's it gets very loud out there so i i cannot say that the atmosphere was bad but i just want to say that the gym wasn't full uh, which is a bit feared because maybe that was the last time uh, barca fans saw their team in, competing in the yearly because maybe they will finish the series in munich uh, either way and they won't see them on game five or, or whatsoever this this year but then you know what yeah i'm sorry to interrupt you um I have an idea how to actually make things even more miserable from EuroLeague's point of view. Um, let's imagine that Maccabi wins both games at home and you have a game five in Madrid. Why not make the game five in Madrid at the same time, on the same day, when Real Madrid will face Manchester City in the second leg of the Champions League in, in Santiago Bernabeu? They that already be, had this great solution last year, right? That would be the best decision ever. You will have a empty visiting center for the most important game of the season, and you could uh, enjoy Euroleague with real passion and, and real fans. 
mm, complaining about the EuroLeague is one of our favorite segments, <laughs> and probably one of the most popular segments in our podcast. At the same time, let's give some good words for the EuroLeague or IMG, probably because uh, I watch all these games and I have to say that the TV job, cameras job, sound system during Olympiagos Monaco game was something exceptional. I was hearing what Bartsokas was saying, being on sidelines in such a great atmosphere where it was really hard to hear anybody probably who was on the court. Uh, we, we, were, we could clearly hear what refs were discussing with players because microphones probably were very close to the bench or uh, uh, very close to the rim or, or I don't know how to explain. The camera job, they had some very high quality cameras. I mean, the whole in-game experience uh, watching the game on EuroLeague TV was amazing, really. And I just thought that it was the same in the same arena, uh, in, in every arena. Uh, I mean, but it, it wasn't. As I watched some other games, both FS Milan and some other series, it, it, it wasn't the same, which, which surprised me a bit. Yeah, it was real quality stuff. I agree with you. Uh, great broadcast, uh, great production. Great basketball, we should say. We started complaining about scheduling the empty seats in, in the arenas, but let's focus on the game itself. So starting with Olympiakos Monaco, we have a real series. After, after uh, the away team gets a split, that's when the, when the real series actually starts. And we have the situation, 1-1, two different games, um, we'll get to the second game later to talk about the adjustments made by Sasha Bradovic mm -hmm. and how the Monaco team responded. But the, the game one, I think both teams were a little bit nervous, a little bit too excited in the beginning, feeling all the atmosphere. And actually, Olympiakos really started slow on offense. Monaco hit some shots, but it's, it was very low scoring first quarter. And I think what broke the game for Olympiakos... Uh, when they finally started feeling the rhythm on offense was their Spanish pick and rolls. Uh, as our analyst, Augusto Szulauskas, uh, he broke down the game on Twitter. Uh, basically, they were running the same set for four, five, six times in a row and Monaco's defense just could not rotate and could not uh, adjust. It really helped uh, Olympiacos that guys like McKissick or, or Printezis that are not very consistent three-point shooters, they made those shots, they were open. And Lucas was running the show. Uh, and again, then you're watching Thomas walk up how he works on, on the defensive end. It's, it's just something to admire. Uh, he actually had Mike James in his pocket uh, in the game one. Uh, Mike James was sort of um, shut down from the game. He could not even get the ball in some situations where he would like to get the ball, he goes up, he tries to play a handoff with the big guy, Donatas Motiunas, for example, and he just cannot receive the ball because of Thomas Walker being there all the time. Uh, then the switching also was decent in some situations. It, they just really made life very hard for Mike James. And it was, first of all, Thomas Walker, but then the whole team the way they were defending and the way they were um, switching and communicating on defense. It was a really good performance from Olympiakos protecting uh, opponents' uh, best player. Yeah, and kudos to Walkup. I mean, not only he was super good defensively, making Mike James, as he said, you know, he was shut down, 
but he was very confident as well on the offensive end, making a couple of three-pointers, that crazy dunk. Uh, posterizing Mike James was something, and that gave a lot of confidence, not only for himself, but for the whole team. Well, most of the time, playing very good defense gives you extra energy on offense and gives you extra confidence. You saw Walkup hitting a spot-up shot in the regular season. His shooting percentages were really low. And he was the key player, I think, in game one. Not only because of defense, you mentioned on offense, he also got, had good numbers with points and assists. Uh, it was team effort, basically. They kept Monaco a very talented team on 57 points. A very well-deserved win for Olympiacos in game one. But then game two is a different story. It was, you know, it, it felt like game one... And Monaco was coached by Zvezdan Mitrovic. And game two was the team coached by uh, Obradovic. Uh, because watching the game one, I saw, once again, I saw heavy ISO-related uh, basketball. Super inefficient Mike James and Bacon. They were, I think, 4 of 14. Also made seven turnovers. Uh, other players were not involved at all. Uh, there were zero effort in defense. Terrible body language. I remember that even Mike James was complaining to his teammates because they were not giving him the ball, although he was not doing anything good with that ball in his hands. So it was really bad look of Monaco team. But, but from, and from what I heard before the game too, there were, okay, there were some uh, tactical adjustments that uh, Bradovich made. And it was once again, really well broke down by our colleague, August, uh, Augusto Schulauskas. You can follow him, by the way, you can follow him on Twitter, uh, Ogis04. Uh, but one, one great thing was said before that game too by, by Obradovic. Uh, he showed the game, two games. He showed that last regular season game against Olympiacos, where they won by around 20 in, in, in Monaco. Uh, and they showed the game one in Preus, uh, of course. And he, he emphasized that the system was not a problem. The problem was the aggressiveness level, the uh, aggression level of Monaco players and how Mike James responded in the post-game EuroLeague TV interview after winning game two, he said that aggression comes not only with points or by scoring, but also assisting, making some aggressive plays. And that's that what happened, actually, because we saw these stupid ISO plays in the game one. In game two, more players were involved. Even ISO plays by Bacon, uh, by James, they were, let's say, smart uh, for example, Bacon was using these mismatches with Vezenkov, uh, Printezis. Then Mike James, okay, he made a lot of tough shots, but at the same time, when he turns on, he can make all these shots. And the usage, I mean, they were using mismatches way clever when it happened in game one. And you could see that it was a way different Monaco team when in game one. Well, in game one, the only one that actually seemed fighting was Will Thomas. But in game two... Everybody on the team started really fighting, fighting uh, for each other and giving something extra. But you know what? After the first quarter, again, you thought it's, it's just the same game. And mm -hmm. we're moving on to, to another blowout victory for Olympiakos. Everything changed in the second quarter. And Sasha Bradovic, I think, he really felt that they need a spark. And then he put Danilo Andrzejewicz in, in the rotation. And Jushic was out of rotation for quite a while. Uh, he was barely playing, actually, in the end of the regular season, even though he was healthy. 
he was prepared. He was only getting a few minutes on the court. And he's one of those players that can stretch the offense a little bit with his off-ball movement, with his ability to make shots, spot-up shots. You cannot leave him open. And he made some shots. Uh, other players also contributed. Everybody started feeling better. And that's when you saw that this Monaco team can actually play some defense. I know that their defense is sort of based on taking risks, playing the numbers game, because you always see that McKissick is open and other players defending him don't put a lot of effort to guard his shots, to contest his shots. Everybody knows that he's a 33% three-point shooter, so the odds are good that he's going to miss. And all these risks they took made sense and and it worked for for monaco at the same time you saw some lucky situations with vazenkov and other good shooters missing open shots and mike james uh, you know great players they always find a way to score uh, if you're being guarded as hell if you're being guarded by thomas Walkup, one of the best defenders in the euro league you need to find different solutions and in this case it's transition transition points take transition trees play very quick pick and rolls when a defense is not set. And when he hit those two free shots in a row in the third quarter, you sort of felt that this is the real play of Mike James. And then the confidence got back and you saw that he wants to play one-on-one. He sees the mismatch with Lucas. He wants to attack Lucas. Uh, Olympiakos, I think in the first game, they did a very good job by not letting Mike James go to his right hand. He was always forced to go to the left, which is a little bit inconvenient. In the second game, one play, another play, he's going to his right, he's getting a shot, that's it. Mike James is, is, is starting to dominate the game. It, it, it all, it's all it takes, one quarter, because after the first quarter, I think Mike James was on minus six BIR, uh, and after the halftime, things changed dramatically. Uh, it's a very good win for Monaco. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if if the result actually reflects how much effort they needed to put to win this one game in, in, in Olympiacos. Yeah, and we have to admit that it was a terrible, terribly unlucky day for Olympiacos. I mean, as you mentioned, not only Vizenkov, some other players were taking good shots, but they just couldn't make it. They missed nine free throws, and a lot of, of these free throws were missed by pretty solid free throw shooters. Uh, I think that they kind of were emotionally focused. I mean, probably all these missed shots were followed by a huge disappointment. Uh, and from that disappointment, they made some stupid decisions. 20 turnovers. I think that they made 20 turnovers. Uh, they, were some, they were crying a lot about the referees, although most of these calls were really uh, great. Uh, it was it was let's say miserable Olympiacos team which we rarely seen this year. So that's why I think that Monaco series in Monaco will be uh, way different. We will see way different uh, Olympiacos team. Although yeah, I mean we cannot uh, uh, underestimate Monaco's effort, especially defensively. I mean Slukas, uh, there's a reason why he made five turnovers. There's a reason named uh, Paris Lee who made a hell of a job. Um, you know, pushing him from from the baseline uh, all, all all the game long. So, I mean, that was a combination of very good game of Monaco and very very unlucky game in Olympiacos. And as you said, we saw two very different games. Olympiacos won by seventeen in game one, and then Monaco won by uh, twenty four points. So let's. I hope that we will 
find this middle between these teams uh, actually in in Monaco now. We need a, we need a closer game, right? The series is is tied, but both games were sort of blowout games, and I'm really surprised that Monaco managed to play good defense without. Alpha Diallo, one of their key players defensively, one of those energy players that do everything on the court, rebounds, fast breaks, one-on-one uh, -on -one defense. Basically, Alpha Diallo is one of their key players, and, and he was out for, for game two, and they managed to find ways, uh, again, give minutes to Andrzej, for example, for offensive purposes mainly. Uh, yeah. I, It, it, yeah. for, it forced Sasha Obradovic to some uh, lineup adjustments. Uh, yes. As, yes. as Augustus uh, broke down in his uh, uh, analysis of Olympiakos uh, Monaco game two, Sasha used lineups with uh, four guards, uh, for example, Mike James, Paris Lee, and Yushic and, and Bacon. Bacon, and it created some uh, mismatches uh, on the offensive end, at least. Uh, I, I really recommend uh, watching this uh, full video on basketnews.com uh, YouTube uh, channel. Yeah, it's it's to me the most uh, exciting series so far. That's basically what we predicted before the playoffs. We agreed on all only in four, but right now it wouldn't surprise me to see a game five in Greece. Yeah, because splitting games in Monaco kind of makes sense right now when you look at these teams. Uh, again, one thing that left me kind of disappointed with Olympiakos after the game two was all this complaining about the refereeing and mainly from Borzokos, actually those sarcastic smiles, uh, just focus on coaching the team, focus on making in-game adjustments. Uh, there weren't any in-game adjustments from Borzokos. So you saw a player struggling like Shaquille McKissick that he's not making shots and Monaco benefits from McKissick being open and taking all these jump shots Change him, substitute him, find find somebody different, uh, try to improvise in the game because Sasha Bradovich was able to do that and find some solutions. And, and Bartokas, all I saw from him was these sarcastic smiles and uh, complaints to the referees. And uh, in the playoffs, you cannot spend energy on referees. You have to be focused on your tasks, on, on defense, on offense. Okay, the shots are not going in. Okay, you're feeling frustrated. But the moment you start complaining to the referees is the moment when you're losing control of the game. And Monaco, they were focused on the game. They did their jobs. And Olympiakos sort of lost themselves in the second quarter and it continued in, uh, after the halftime. Yeah, as you said, I also kind of expect... Uh... To see this series coming back to Perios. Uh, and although I would be very surprised if Monaco would, would manage uh, to win it all at, at home. If Monaco wins two two more games in a row, it would it would be an I don't know a bigger upset than Partizan losing in the Eurocup because it was one single game. Olympiakos, I don't think they had three losses in a row during the regular season. It was the only the second time they lost at the home actually after yeah. after Zvezda. Yeah. So Yeah, so looking forward to to the second part of the series. Uh, but now let's talk about Milan. Yeah, and, let's and go FS. forward about Milan and FS. And uh, Milan became the home team with the fewest points in the EuroLeague playoffs. Uh, home game, uh, managing to score only 48 in game, game one against FS. In the second game, they kind of saw uh, 
made an improvement, scoring 73 and winning game two. But I just wanted to ask you something, you know, because this, this problem is following them all year long. Even in the second round of the EuroLeague, there's that crazy stat that they were the best defensive team in the EuroLeague, but they were 17th in the offensive rating. And I, I think that they were ahead of only as well Villarban, at least in the second uh, round of the EuroLeague. So what could be your take? What's not clicking for, for Milan offensively? I don't know. They, they're just playing the same way they did last year, but they don't have a, a certain Kevin Punter. Their offense is very simple. A lot of isolation basketball, a lot of shots off the dribble, uh, just putting your best players in situations where they can make decisions for themselves. Uh, it's Delaney, it's Rodriguez, it's Shields. Um, and sometimes the shots are not going in, but uh, their system is based on defense, as you said. If you, As long as you're winning games, nobody cares about your offensive rating. But of course, when you, you have the first playoff game and you're, you're at home and you score, score only 48 points, it looks bad on you, not only because of your stats let's say but also because before the series what people were saying it's offense versus defense like fs is a offensive minded team that looks very poor on defense this season and olympia is uh, completely different very good defensively elite defensive team struggling on offense but again an adult fs only allowed 48 points and it's not like they did some miracles on defense they just uh, sort of were more aggressive than in regular season games, and it was enough. Um, in Milan, they were just missing shots. They, they were again, missing a lot of shots. But, but like Olympiacos, they had very good shot selection in most cases. But when your offense is based on uh, isolation and, and making shots off the dribble, sometimes you will have those nights when they are not going in. You don't have Kyrie Irving's and, and Jason Tatum's on your roster. I mean, they're good players, but they're not superstar players. Uh, but this series to me is not about 48 points from Milan. This series is kind of ruined by injuries and it's a real pity. Mm, I know we're talking right now and it's 1-1 and, and you, you're trying to think that anything can still happen. But Milan already entered this series uh, without uh, Dinos Mitoglu after we know what happened with him, uh, without Gigi Datome who is injured. And then in game one, you're already losing. And in the end of the game, Nicola Melli, one of your key players, almost an irreplaceable player, gets injured. And he's out for the series. In game two, you win. But after winning, you don't feel really happy because your two playmakers, Delaney and Rodriguez, are also got hurt and they're out. Yeah, Delaney is out for the playoffs. Rodriguez is still uncertain, but it also doesn't look good. Yeah, so you can imagine the, the feelings of Ettore Messina right now. What, what do you think about his mind games? He said the series is over and they need a miracle. That's an interesting approach to take. Because, <laughs> but, for example, Andrea Trinquere, I mean, he was in an even worse situation. He didn't have Bolden. Now he didn't have the Hillard. Radosevic was out. Yeah. I mean, and he has way less talented team than Milan, for example. And he didn't tell anything about that. You know... I can say the same. I think that uh, Milan need a miracle right now. I, I don't think that the coach should say it, but maybe it is mind games, as you've mentioned. And I don't think that the atmosphere inside the team is like this, that they gather together in the, 
and they're saying, oh, man, we're going to lose the series. We need a miracle. Of course not. They still have Devon Hall. They still have Shevon Shields. They still have Kyle Hines. They still have their defense. Um, it was strange to hear those comments from, from the El Professore, uh, but um, in my opinion, it is like that. I don't see how they can win a game in Istanbul. I, I'm actually intrigued by some lineup uh, situations which might require some, I would say, problems, which might cause some problems for FS because, okay, if, for example, Rodriguez is out, Delaney is out, they don't have any real point guard, basically. But Devon Hall time, is running the show then. But exactly. I mean, they were without them, both Delaney and Rodriguez, also Nicola Melli, in the end of the fourth quarter when the game was tied, and they still, you know, they still managed to win the game. And you can... You can put on the court Devon Hall, uh, Troy Daniels, for example, Shawan Shields, Bentil, and Hines. And you have Daniels as your, let's say, shortest guy on the court, who is 193 centimeters. Other guys coming off the bench, for example, Grant, even Alvite, they're 196, 197, Ricci, Terzuski. I mean, they, I mean, okay, Milan was always the team which loved to switch. But with some of these big bodies, with the confidence knowing that they're kind of irreplaceable. Uh, also, injuries usually unites teams, as we saw, for example, in Bayern's case. I think it's okay. I also think that it would be a miracle for, Mil for Milan to make the play, uh, final four because I already thought that FS was had an upper hand having, you know, uh, Meli, Rodriguez, and Delaney as their opponents on the court. But at the same time, I have a feeling that it might create some some problems which will be intriguing to see on the court in Istanbul. It might. I agree with you. I mean, they still have the size and, and the ability to play elite defense. Um, but then how long can Devon Hall and Shevon Shields carry the team? They will have to play like 32 minutes or more because without Rodriguez and Delaney, they are the only creators in the team. And this team was struggling in offense with Full roster. Uh, game two, they were in a position to lose the game. The game, I'm, I'm not saying it was lost already, but it, there wasn't a lot of hope in Mediolanum Forum. And then Siobhan Shields uh, started playing like a Paul Pierce, true hero. Like yeah. he, he, he was the hero of the game. All the shots he made in isolation, uh, those mid-range jumpers, the three-pointer. Troy Daniels also hit a big bucket. But it always seemed like they're losing this game. And you could criticize FS a little bit for not closing the game under these circumstances. And Shane Larkin is playing okay. Shane Larkin is himself. Vasa Mitsic is, is actually not delivering uh, against this switch-all defense. All these attempts to attack Kyle Hines, to drive to the paint, it's not working out really. And those step-back freeze, again, not very consistent. So so far after two games played, um, I'm 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 really happy what Shane Larkin is doing, but I think Vasamich can play a lot better. Yeah, we have to emphasize that we have to mention that I I think that as far as I heard that Vasa has some health issues or at least mm -hmm. he had some health issues before the series and he wasn't 100% healthy, and we also saw some pain moments and I think that he didn't fi finish game two right uh, because of some uh, small injury. 
anyway, we'll see how it will affect FS. Yeah, but what I wanted to say that, you know, defense was there and it still will be. And even though F, uh, Milan were struggling offensively once again, uh, they were solid in defense. I mean, FS won the first game uh, scoring uh, how many? 64 points. Uh, in the second yeah. game, they scored 66. That's a very low scoring game for a, such a talented team like FS. So defensively, I don't see a lot of uh, problems for Milan, even without these three players. The main question is offense. But at the same time, as you said, they rely a lot of, on a individual talent. So probably it won't be sexy offense with Shawan Shields playmaking the ball or Devon Hall playmaking the ball. But when you have shooters around like Troy Daniels, Devon Hall, when you have Shawan Shields playing one-on-one, uh, driving to the basket uh, and, you know, draw, drawing the double team, when you have Ben Bentil, I mean, that could work kind, work out kind of for Milan. Well, well, the target is to win one game. We, we, exactly. we know that. We, well, they we need know to that. win one game to uh, return serious to Milan. And the only way, of course, is to keep it very low scoring. Uh, if you're keeping FS under 70 points, you have a chance even with struggling offense. So it's a good point that you mentioned. In the game that FS won, they only scored 64. And in the second game, only 66. So you cannot complain about these results. Uh, the only problem was 48 points by yourself in, in, in game one. I sort of agree with you that um, these uh, circumstances make things, mix things a lot, mess things up for Ataman as well, because you don't know what lineups Milan will play. You don't know how it's going to look on the court. You cannot analyze this because you never saw these lineups in, in regular season games, for example. So there is some uncertainty. You will need to adjust in certain situations. Maybe we will see situations where FS themselves have to go to smaller lineups playing without a center, without Plyas or without Dunstan. I'm not sure. We, we will see what happens. Uh, obviously, FS, they feel like they are in the best position right now to go to the Final Four and, and defend their championship. Um, but you cannot sleep on that. You have to be 100% focused. And this game three, I think, is the most important one. I think game three is the best chance for Milan to win in Istanbul. Because game four, FS will already be adjusted to the way the opponents are playing. And game three is the time to try and surprise them a little bit. A lot depends then on Vasa Mitic, of course, uh, his shape, if, if he's healthy, if he's prepared. Um, Chacho Rodriguez, as you said, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, defensively it's even easier without Chacho because he's one of those players you need to sort of hide on defense. And without Chacho, it's easier to defend. But of course, you're lacking his creativity on offense. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think that uh, FS will close the series at home. But game five is always exciting. So if we will have another one, why not? Okay, so then let's move on to uh, Barcelona. Yeah, you've, you've been there. You've been to Palau. How did you feel in the game two where, when Bayern Munich started making every single shot and, and, and shocked everybody by winning it? I mean, it was crazy because in first five minutes, they had Radosevic out uh, because of the injury, Lucic with two quick fouls and Trinkieri uh, getting a very early technical foul. And Barca, I mean, they were kind of good. They were solid in game one. And without Hillard, 
I thought that it's gonna be one-sided game, another around plus ten points game for for Barcelona. But then, I mean, what Deshaun Thomas did, scoring how many, as many as like nine or eleven points in a row in the second quarter. He he, I think that he didn't make a single basket in the first quarter, and the, in the second quarter uh, he he scored like 13, 15 points. He went from zero to twenty-five in game two. So it it didn't happen by some miracle. Trinquieri made some adjustments, creating some situations for him, uh, popping out after slips, and you know getting Barca unprepared for these situations because I just thought that Barca lost the focus of playing smart, disciplined basketball, and that's what such a tough and hustle team like Bayern needed. I mean. What I mentioned about teams being united uh, and the situation which requires some unity in Milan, they can watch, for example, Messina can show all these games of Bayern in, in Barcelona, what it takes to compete, to not to be afraid of anybody under any circumstances. And that's, I, I just think that Bayern just out-hustled Barcelona, okay? There were some luck, but at the same time, Deshaun Thomas made shots that he makes. Obst is known as a shooter. He made his shots. Uh, the hell of you know defensive uh, uh, level was always on on Bayern's side. So, I mean, these are poor fighters, really. So, I I, I really feel inspired by this Bayern team, what they're doing and what they did in, in Barcelona. I don't feel that uh, the series will back to to Barca. I think that Barca will close the series in Munich, but they already overachieved. I mean, if they had a chance before the season uh, to get playoffs and to be two games away from the final four i i think that they paid a lot of money for that kind of opportunity yeah well uh, probably it's pointless to talk about game one because in game one what's what was supposed to happen happened it happened and game two uh, this is what you love to see in playoffs when there are injuries when there are key players out you love to see other guys stepping up and Guys that really stepped up in my eyes were Yaramaz, Leiler Bob, um, Andreas Obst. He's a shooter. He knows his role. He knows how to play his, play his role. We saw throughout the regular season maybe three or four games, which Trinkieri sort of broke down with Obst, putting him in the rotation in the middle of the second quarter, and he starts making some shots. The defense needs to adjust. And all these guys really stepped up. What Deshaun Thomas did, you can expect something like this from a veteran player, at least in one game of the playoff series. Deshaun Thomas is a really tough guy. He's also making life difficult on Nikola Mirotic. Again, we're seeing Mirotic sort of struggling in, a, in the playoffs. And if, if, we're, if we're talking about Paul George being the playoff P, I mean, we're having sort of phenomena with Mirotic in Europe. <laughs> I had this deja vu feeling. I mean, especially during game one, when Mirotic missed some easy layups and then you see him um let's say refusing to make an early three-point shot although it was an open look and you can obviously see that he lost his confidence game two was a bit better for him he scored 16 points but he's not very efficient he's scoring uh, he's making only 38 percent of two pointers and three yeah. pointers averaging like something around 10.5 uh, performance index rating and you can clearly see that Mirotic is kind of reminding you the last year's playoff Mirotic, which was the guy who was having his MVP award slipping away from him. So yeah. 
I had this deja vu feeling and I feel that everybody in Barca organization have that feeling that, okay, last year's ghosts are back on in Mirotic's head. And, you know, maybe they are, we are exaggerating some things, but at the same time, these mental things, they might affect Mirotic and it's important for Barca, not only for the remainder of the series, because yeah. we saw that Barca can win uh, not easily, but solidly against Bayern without Mirotic. But it's important for the final four and for another EuroLeague title run. Again, Augie Rubit, another player I didn't mention uh, in game two, he was terrific. Uh, being realistic, I think that uh, it's impossible for Bayern to shoot like this again. They made 13 three-pointers from 27. Some of those shots were contested. And if you replay the game with the same shot selection that it was in game two, on other night, Bayern Munich could lose because these numbers are, are, are crazy. 48% from three-point line. I don't think it's going to happen again. And it's, it's difficult to imagine Bayern Munich finding something even more extra than it was in game two with all these injuries they're facing without Hilliard, without Walden. So I agree with you that Barca should close the series in Munich. But at the same time, you can never rule out a team coached by Trinkieri. You can never rule out a team that is fighting like this. Uh, it was a great point that you made about those 50-50 balls and hustling. Bayern really out-hustled Barcelona. And maybe it wasn't Barca players' heads a little bit that uh, their roster is injured. They're losing key players. It should be an easy win for us. We should go to Munich winning 2-0, knowing that the third game should be the last one and we're sweeping Bayern Munich and focusing on our bigger goals for the season. But it was sort of a wake-up call. I think when Barca players lost this game, you saw the reactions from Sharas, it was a wake-up call. And I couldn't imagine this scenario happening again. I can bet money that in game three, you will see Brandon Davis diving for the ball. You will see the other guys also doing the same. Uh, the energy levels will be high enough. And I just don't imagine Bayern Munich shooting like this again. It was, I mean, they over, over, per, overachieved. I agree. I, I, I think that they reached their ceiling with that game too. And uh, okay, there is that deja vu sense, you know, if you remember Zenit series, because once again, Barca is facing very well coached team. Uh, Barca is facing all around team. Uh, with a lot of very ambitious, some of them, there are unproven uh, players. Yeah. It's a very well-organized uh, team, which is really hard to beat. But at the same time, I mean, to be fair, Bayern is a less talented team when Zenit was last year, ran by Kevin Pangos, uh, first All-Euroleague player. Also, they're not as deep as Zenit was, and also they're injured. Like many important players, not only you know core players, but rotation players. We have... Walden questionable for the uh, series in, in Munich. We have Radosevic out. They're not practicing with the team. I mean, it's it's really hard for them to show something more than what we with saw. With Hillard and Walden, it could be a different story. Exactly. Yeah, but right now, it, it is what it is. It, it kind of reminds me of Denver Nuggets versus the Golden State Warriors. Uh, yesterday, Nuggets were shooting amazingly well. They made a lot of tough shots. Uh, Warriors had a bad night uh, and they managed to win one single game. But that's why you play a series, not a sudden death like in the Euro Cup. 
games like this might happen, but they occur once during the series, not twice, not three times in a row. Um, so, yeah, just a lot of respect for Bayern for what they did. Uh, but for them to win another game, a lot of things need to happen that the coach does not control. Like, again, making 13 or 14 three-pointers, uh, Barca not making their shots, uh, Mirotic being out of the game for some reason. A lot of things need to happen. And as big as a genius Andrea Trinchieri is, he just cannot control most of these things. And and his team is less talented. It's quite obvious. There was a great quote by Trinchieri who said that Okay, he's enjoying that night, that win in, in, in Palau, but at the same time that he's fully aware that Barca will come to Munich to destroy them and they you know, need to put some armor, to put some, some, some helmets and to be prepared to be destroyed by Barca. I mean, to be fully aware to, to defend their uh, home ground, uh, which will happen then this week uh, already. So uh, just, just in general, I mean, that's a pure joy to participate in all these press conferences where uh, shot us such basketball minds and such charismatic personalities like Jesse Kavishus and Trinkieri, you know, they, they take uh, this, this stage, you know, to share their basketball knowledge, um, to express their basketball and life ideas the way that only they, they manage. So it's, it's a pure joy not only to watch this series because it's comp comp competitive, uh, very, let's say, talented, and at the same time, uh, very well coached, a tactical series, but the post-game press conference is also another big event uh, worth to watch. And now, finally, let's talk about the series that was kind of overrated probably before it started. Hey, it's too early. It's too early. Maccabi okay, home, okay, Maccabi Maccabi home is a different team. But did you get some answers from these two <laughs> games about how important is coaching and tactics and strategy? Never question the heart of champions and never question the team of Pablo Lasso. Yep, I got some answers. I'm, but I'm, I not, still... I'm not questioning the team of Pablo Lasso. I'm questioning the other team. The... Hey, hey, show some respect to Avi Aven because as, by the way, there's one very important thing to mention. We are very thankful for our listeners, viewers, and all of these people who are leaving comments in our comment section because we are getting a lot of interesting insights, feedback, not only from Lithuanians, but also Turkish, Greek, Israeli, Italian fans, fans from all over Europe or even world. And there was a good point said by one of the Israeli fans, uh, I think, that Avi Evan was the assistant coach uh, of Maccabi Tel Aviv for like 15 years. He was assisting uh, uh, David Blatt, Pini Gershon, some, some other uh, good coaches in, in Maccabi. So he's not like a newcomer in this job. And he also might have some ideas to deliver. So not just not to underrate. So why didn't he deliver those ideas? <sighs> Maccabi's defense. I, hey, hey, there's one thing. I think that excluding this, let's say, tactical factor, I think that Maccabi showed no effort in, the, in Madrid. I mean, how can you teach boxing out your uh, opponent if you're not boxing out Tavares, if you're not, you cannot manage to raise your hand when you're defending Rudy Fernandez, Fernandez and you're one meter away from him when he can make that early three-pointer? You cannot coach these things. I mean, that's. I think that everybody in Maccabi should look at the mirror 
because the problem is not the coach, not the unexperienced coach. The problem, I mean, everybody has to do something. Everybody has to improve a lot. They sh- they, again, they should watch some Byron tapes to, to learn from it. Akabi's defense in game two was the most random thing I ever saw in, in EuroLeague playoffs. And I'm sorry, you can put a lot of things down to effort or, or whatever. This team doesn't have a clue what they want to do on defense. You just don't see them having some uh, rules where they're risking. What are they giving away? Uh, how they are defending? So many times you see uh, Maccabi, uh, I'm sorry, Real Madrid player driving to his strong hand and there is no rim protection. Where is Reynolds? Where is Zizic? These players don't know their tasks, don't know their roles. They don't have a plan. They just out there playing random basketball and and they're trying to outplay one of the most experienced European teams with randomness. Hey, but come let, on, man. Let's be honest. I mean, Jalen Reynolds or Scotty Wilbekin put Jelko Bradovic in that team. You won't see a big difference in defense. I think Sasha Bradovic proved that even with such players and characters, you can you don't need to bring a big playbook. You just need to make some adjustments, some rules that the players will follow. You convince them that it's necessary to do certain things, and and that's it. Other than that, you can play from your talent. You can you can use your best abilities on, on offense. I mean, okay, game one was not as terrible as the second, but in game one also, you see Fabian Cozer driving to his left hand once, twice, three times, four times, basically doing whatever he wants. You're allowing Sergio Yu to turn back the clock to, let's say, 2013 and feel the joy of basketball once again by making easy spot-up shots. It's inexcusable. I'm sorry. You can blame the coach. You can blame the players. It's up to you who you want to blame. But this is not playoff basketball. It was embarrassing. Game two was an embarrassment. I hope in Tel Aviv there will, there will be some sort of response and they will make the series more interesting by at least winning the following game and not making it a sweep. But right now, I don't have a lot of belief in that team. Before the series, what we were saying, that Gabi Deck is one of the most important players for Real Madrid. He should be one of the biggest factors. Gabi Deck wasn't even there. Gabi Deck got COVID. Yeah, and when it happened, I, I thought that, oh, that's a huge, huge advantage for Maccabi. Another big hope for them, you know, because as I mentioned, he was super important. We didn't see any difference. Gabi Deck was in or out. I mean, Maccabi had no chance. And, you know, as we, we were kind of, you know, discussing in a funny way whose fault it is. I mean, or is it Avn or, or the players? No, the whole idea of this Maccabi team is, is just wrong. I mean, it, it, it was all program, uh, programmed, I would say. Never with Yanis uh, Foropoulos, this was very, let's say, disciplined and well-organized team. It's really, it's just a bad combination of, of some players. It's really tough but, to make it very well-run, disciplined team. But it's not a rocket science. I, I don't get it really at this level. These are professional, good basketball players. All that is required, know your duties on defense, where you need to stand, who you're guarding, which is his strong hand, left or right. Is he a good shooter or not? If you're a center, when you have to protect the paint, I mean, Tavares and Poiret, these are not the the type of players that stretch the floor. So you're basically protecting the paint. Do your job, box out, grab a rebound. I mean, all you need to do is know your duties. I'm not saying that it's some 
extra difficult stuff, uh, some rocket science, some Chavi Pascal sort of basics, schemes. Probably. These yeah. are basics. Why are they playing so random? I don't get it. There's no get explanation, it, but when they come back uh, to play in the Menorah Miftahim, I mean, they're a bit different, I would say. Probably emotions, they, yeah, the emotions, they're more focused, and probably that energy comes from fans. They're really uh, difficult to beat at home. I think just as Real Madrid in the regular season, they won 12 of uh, 14 home games. So that's basically my only hope that home crowned, uh, the home court, and that let's say adjustment for the Telewave series, the energy level will be different, the level of focus will be different, and then maybe it will help them, you know, to have more competitive uh, series. Uh, and even you know, stats show that also Real uh, Madrid they're playing really bad uh, away games. For example, they score uh, ten point uh, ten points less in, in away games than at home. For example. Maccabi, there's a huge difference. Uh, they're plus nine playing at home. So that's our only hope. But we're talking not about some, you know, logical things which we can kind of measure. We, we are talking about mentality. And every time we're talking about mentality, it's, you know, something, something out of uh, players' hands. So you're kind of not sure what you can expect in this series. Again, Maccabi is lacking depth. They're not finding anybody who can step up from the bench. Uh, Real Madrid right now, knowing that it's a veteran team with so much experience, there is no pressure on them at all. You're going to Tel Aviv knowing that you need to win one game. If you if you lose game three, you still have a chance in game four. Worst case scenario, you're coming back to Madrid to, to play the crucial game five. So, honestly... I was predicting a five-game series. You were predicting actually Maccabi winning it. Uh, right now, a five-game series looks like uh, something really, really far away. We will see. Maybe they'll find ways to surprise me. But I'm just talking about defense and simple things that need to be done. Yeah. If Monaco was... players, if Monaco players can do those things, I don't see any reason or excuse why Maccabi's players cannot do the same. Yeah, and there are a few things uh, uh, to emphasize as well. Uh, for example, starting from defensive issues, Real Madrid, I think that they made 15 three-pointers per game in, in Madrid, which is a terrible number, and it comes from the lack of the discipline of Maccabi defense. Also, what was destroying Maccabi was uh, offensive rebounds by Real Madrid, I mean, there was a situation where they got three consecutive offensive rebounds and the whole possession took 50 seconds or something. And I think that they had six offensive rebounds in the second quarter and they were terribly out-rebounded out by Madrid. And this thing also kills them, not only because Real Madrid uh, has second-chance opportunities, which they converted very well. I think that they scored 35 points in Game 2 in the first quarter. And they, from the eight missed shots, they had second second chances, uh, six second chances, which is huge. But that also kills Maccabi's uh, transition game. And that's the area where they get a lot of points. So as I mentioned, these things, this is not a rocket science. These are small adjustments and they might improve their game very easily. And then, which will help them to put in a better situation to win the game. So 
I just hope that in, I, I have to stick with my prediction. I just hope that in, in, in Tel Aviv, we will see a different uh, picture of Maccabi. Then they will get that confidence for the game five. And I will be correct with my bracket. It's simple <laughs> again, as that. Again, nobody ever won the series from being yeah. down 2-0. Um, hey, but Maccabi is a place where miracle happens. So, so even the miracle, if, if miracle happens, I can see them tying the series, but you still need to win the game five away from home. And, those first two games doesn't give me a lot of confidence that they are able to do such things. And and you mentioned the numbers, like we're saying about Bayern Munich, they made 13 three-pointers. It's not going to happen again. Why? Because Bayern Munich made tough shots against good defense in some moments. And some moments, of course, they were open shots. All of Madrid's shots were quite easy. Like I said about Sergio Yul, these days he's not known that for being very consistent. But if you're allowing him to make routine shots, like like in a training session, of course you're going to make them. He could make these shots being 45 years old if, if, if you're giving them. So I'm, I'm criticizing Maccabi a lot, but okay, let's, let's hope that yeah. we'll see something better. Just a few stats that show a lot of room for improvement. For example, James Nunnally, he averaged only eight points in both games uh, where he was averaging something close to 18 in the last 10 regular season games. Derek Williams is also kind of miserable, scoring six points per game. But my most favorite fun fact is that Gershonia Baselli had five offensive fouls in the first two games. He was just destroying Derek Williams' uh, face all the time, you know, not controlling his elbows. Although some of the calls were not fair, I have to say. At least two offensive fouls for Yabiselli were wrong. But yeah. It's it's funny to watch this guy, this big fella, hustling over there. So to sum up, I'm I'm really looking forward to Monaco Olympiacos. Anything can happen there. FS Milan. Maybe we'll see some surprises. Maybe Milan will respond somehow, even though they're dealing with a lot of problems, a lot of injuries. But uh, still, FS needs 100% focus to win both games at home. Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Bayern already done more than we expected and uh, they already earned the respect of everybody, but it's difficult to see them winning even more games in the series. And Maccabi Real Madrid, so far it's been disappointing, but in Tel Aviv with a sold-out arena, we're hoping for a different story and maybe some fight, maybe some better basketball. Yeah, a lot of interesting things to happen this week. Uh, my only suggestion is to follow us on basketnews.com because once again, this week we'll have uh, our crew members on board in every game. Uh, I'm coming to Munich uh, tomorrow. All the other guys will cover games in, in Tel Aviv, uh, Monaco and Istanbul. So a lot of material on both basketnews.com website and our YouTube channel. Uh, thanks a lot, Ritis, for joining yeah. me. Uh, for having a short break during your time off uh, from at least commentating basketball. But next week, I'm waiting you here with Manu here as well. Yeah, next week I'm coming back. Maybe we will be talking about the final four teams already. I hope but not. May I hope but maybe, not. yes, I'm hoping also that we'll have at least one game five in the quarterfinals. One way or another, let's meet next Monday. And thank you for your time today.